Welcome to Game Changers by Logitech G, the six-part podcast for ones taking the risks, breaking the mold and changing the game. I'll be talking to a variety of people in the gaming world about different topics, from diversity in gaming to its effect on mental health. I'm your host, Alan Boyston. Ever considered gaming as a career? With thousands of people making millions in gaming and streaming each year, it's really no surprise that a brand new career path for the next generation has been born. So, as our title aptly said, who really wants to be a gaming millionaire? And more importantly, how? Today, I'm joined by Mark Weller, who's the CGO of the UK's leading professional gaming organisation, Vex Gaming. Hello, Mark. Hello, thank you. And I'm also joined by Paul Tartan, also known as Mighty Jingles, the self-proclaimed noob gamer extraordinaire. Well, thank you both for coming along today. And of course, today is really much, very much about finding out how to make an income, grow a business in the games industry and get started. Paul, I'm going to start with yourself. You've grown, uh, you know, obviously on YouTube, you've grown a massive audience there, a whole income stream. You've developed a job, a business for yourself. But how did it all start? Almost completely by accident. (laughs) I'd like to say that I had a business plan from day one, but pretty much everything that happened to me. Um, was largely a case of being in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. I have, well, my background is Royal Navy. Mm. I did 22 years in the Navy. And when my retirement was coming up, uh, I was getting into uh, a game called World of Tanks quite seriously. And as a way to preserve my best battles within the game, um, there were various different third-party websites that you could use to upload your replays to, so you could view them again at a later date. Uh, because they were third-party and not, not affiliated directly with the developers of the game, um, when the money ran out, the domain expired and, and the replays were lost. So I thought to myself, what's the best way of preserving my favourite World of Tanks battles for the future? And I thought, I'll upload them to YouTube. YouTube's not going anywhere. And people started watching them. And then people started asking me to put commentaries on them. And so I did. And then more people started watching them. And once I got to around about 10 to 15,000 subscribers, and that took about six months, uh, because the one thing that I was doing that was different to what everybody else was doing, all of the other World of Tanks YouTubers that inspired me to try doing it for myself, uh, was I was putting up a video every day. Mm. And everybody else was putting up a video once a week, once every two weeks if you were lucky. Um, So that really helped me make an impression. And over the course of about six months, I ended up with around about fifteen to 20,000 subscribers. And then another game appeared, uh, Gaijin Entertainment's War Thunder, uh, which was, or is now, all about aircraft, tanks, and warships. But at the time, it was just aircraft. Military simulations are kind of a niche market. It's not like Fortnite or PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. So with that 20,000 subscriber base, when I started putting up War Thunder videos, I very quickly became probably the world's biggest War Thunder YouTuber. Around, around what time was this, years wise? Oh, this would have been about six, seven years ago. Right, six, seven years. Uh, quite a while. Yeah. Then, of course, people who were getting interested in the idea of a very easy-to-play World War II combat flight simulator, mm. my videos were appearing at the top of their feed. But then they would start looking to see what other kind of videos I was uploading, mm. and so they started now also watching my World of Tanks videos. So the two games kind of fed off each other. And you had a niche, you had an audience. It was very much a niche market. Uh, You know, so what was that, 2012, 2013? 2012 is when I first started on YouTube and it was around about the middle of 2013 when the numbers started to get a lot bigger 
very quickly. And I'd like to say it was because I'm just amazing, <laughs> but yeah. it was literally just a case of being in the right place at the right time and it just kind of fed off on itself because obviously with the YouTube algorithm, once you've got a certain number of people watching your videos, YouTube starts recommending you. Somebody else watches something else on roughly the same subject and you start appearing in the, you may also and wish that to. That algorithm changes, doesn't it? Because of course you had a frequency of upload. I mean, some people were yes. uploading three videos a day and getting massive views back then because obviously back then the algorithm definitely seemed to push yes. regular uploads yeah, regular as well. uploads and more than 15 minutes. Hmm. I mean, the average length of a game of World of Tanks, for example, can be anything between, it's maximum 15 minutes. And 15 minutes tends to be the, you know, YouTube likes this. So I do a bit of a spiel at the start and then I analyze the battle results at the end just to make sure the video was longer than 15 minutes. Hmm. And it really seemed to work. So you uh, obviously, you've gone onto YouTube, you started monetizing your videos, you started making an income. You've had a period of your life when you've been available to do this. At what point in that sort of first six months or so did you say, hang on a moment, there's a, there's a start here, I can start making some income? Well, again, I was incredibly lucky because I just retired from the Royal Navy and I had a naval pension, uh, which wasn't a lot. But this was back in the day when pretty much anybody could monetize their YouTube channel. The requirements were almost nothing. Uh, it's a lot more difficult today. And the money that was coming in from having 25 to 30,000 YouTube subscribers definitely wasn't enough to live on. But it was enough to supplement the Navy pension so that I, you know, I could actually make a go of this. I don't really need to get another job. And so I kept at it. I had some savings from when I left the Navy and it started to develop into the sort of thing that I could do this for a living. Mm. Much harder these days, um, without going into specifics, a couple of years ago when I was at three, 350,000 subscribers. Today I'm at twice as many, and I'm earning exactly the same amount as I was, purely because of, well, things like well, the apocalypse. Now you've got a lot of add-ons. We're gonna come back in a moment. Yeah. Mark, I just wanna bring you into it now. Vexed Gaming, tell yeah. me, or tell me how you got into sort of professional gaming, how you made an income and eventually became a business, but tell you where you started. I started on YouTube, weirdly enough. That's how my journey kind of began, is um, I was at university, playing many, many games I've always done all my life. Thanks to my older brother, Wayne, funnily enough, on Battlefield, big Battlefield player. He used to play Counter-Strike Source as well, so I used to watch him play that, and then I went into playing that myself. Um, but yes, yeah, so YouTube, I started making videos on Armour 2, mainly around the DayZ mod that come out. And my videos are picking up from like 11,000 views through to 250,000 views, but I was at uni, I was purely doing that for fun and, you know, once it started feeling more like a job, I kind of... Again, what year was it, would this be? Ooh, 2012, maybe, yeah. something like that. Okay. Once that started feeling a bit more like a job, I was like, uh, whatever, it kind of let YouTube die off for me, which now now I look back and regret. And then I started moving into playing Counter-Strike with my friends. We started competing, and then I found my kind of niche in a TCG game called Hand of the Gods that allowed me to play all around the world, um, compete in America, did all right from it, and then the game kind of died off, so wasn't generating enough revenue to carry on as a, as a business. So then during this kind of time as well, I started my own, well, started an organization. It didn't do very well. In the original one, as it was with friends, I was still kind of learning. And then Vex Gaming kind of come along, I think this was probably about 
four years ago, five years ago, so around 2015, 2016. And then I was like, right, we've we've had some success in, in the games that we're playing. We could we could monetize this dead easily. No one's doing it in the UK properly. Um, now's our kind of opportunity to, to get in there. And so 2015, 2016, we started properly and then just kind of rolled out from there. Where was your core income at this time? What, what, what aspect of the games business was your core income from? Was it from, uh, you'd left YouTube, you're doing competitive gaming. Yeah. So it's from the competitive gaming. When you say income, is that from sponsors or is it from winnings? Yeah, so when we first started running with Vexed, well, I was working a full-time job in marketing myself. So I was working a full-time nine-to-five. And then during that nine-to-five, well, tell them I was working on that side mm. project during the nine-to-five, but I was. And then I get home and work till like 1, 2 a.m. to kind of, you know, bolster it up. And we have got the content, we've got the business plan ready and everyone's looked after. So it was a, a very long process to actually monetize uh, Vex as an organization. But um, fast forward, say two years, we managed to close our first set of sponsorship. And that's where the money really comes in for organizations. Everyone thinks we make loads of money on prize money. Once you take into consideration the, the overheads of getting to the competition, yeah. we make next to I think it's also when you split it down between all the different players. The fact is that, you know, say 50 teams enter and three teams win, you can't bet on that. But you can bet on how many viewers are likely to be watching that if you're going to do quite well. Exactly. I think one thing that you've both highlighted is that you need a business plan to get started. Ideally, you'll have some kind of plan of what you want to do, your action plan in terms of creating your social media and creating your, your social media accounts, how you're going to push yourself out there and various forms of income. You yourself worked for a marketing company. That came in very handy, didn't yeah. it? I mean, in a way, it's, it's helpful for people to study a bit of marketing to understand how to market themselves in terms of Definitely. numbers and breaking it down analytically so that when they present it to sponsors, they know how to make it of value. Yeah. What do your sponsors look for in terms of value when you're putting together a presentation? They're pretty much looking at your audience and seeing who you can reach, what's your demographic, how many people can you reach, and then obviously, what are you going to charge them? Yeah. <laughs> you need to make sure you're attractive to the sponsors, so hitting the demographics that they want to hit, but also in a different different way because we're in a the climate we're in with content at the moment is everyone wants everything now, 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 and because of that so much is being churned out it's hard to do something unique but it, i can't stress enough how how important it is to find something that is your niche and something you can kind of specialize in and use as your unique selling point as such that's mm, it's interesting i think building that sponsorship proposal is a key area and also even if you can ask some offer some form of hospitality stuff like that i mean anything you can offer to that sponsor yeah. just coming back to yourself paul you start monetizing on youtube you've got to get your commercial rights i mean that's one thing i mean you mentioned it was easy years ago i noticed there's this crossover around 2012 yeah. when we, we all sort of got into it um, but back then, publishers didn't offer commercial rights. There were no commercial rights. Yeah. You often on YouTube would be flagged on a regular basis to say, do you have the rights to monetize this yes. video? So when you're monetizing a YouTube video, you need full commercial rights. I think a lot of people have forgotten that these days. Yeah. They upload TV shows, upload anything. But in actual fact, if you look at the, the rules, YouTube could probably shut down half the channels on YouTube yeah. tomorrow. There are a lot of games developers and publishers out there. Uh, I think Nintendo is one of the more extreme examples that if you try to upload any footage of their game, bye-bye. Mm. They just don't like it. There are games publishers and developers who are extremely happy and offer to whitelist you 
on YouTube so that you don't get into trouble for uploading content of their gameplay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've got this control from publishers. It's important to work with publishers. Uh, it's important to have a business plan, but also the moment you decide you're going to go full time, the moment you're going to cross over, that's a tricky time, isn't it? Because you've, everyone has to make that decision of, right, I'm going to leave a full time paid job or I'm going to leave the world of work, swim into the ocean of self-employment. You need Very to be scary moment. It's a scary moment because you leave the island of employment, as I say, and then you're in the ocean until you get to the other side. I guess there's that crossover period of income. You know, obviously, you need a business plan. You need to have an idea of where you're going. Uh, there are opportunities available for people in terms of financial advice and business advice. There is also working tax credit for those who are low paid and on a transitional period while trying to build their business. But for, say for someone like yourself, you've got your YouTube going. Was it just YouTube income? Where did the in income grow then to where it is today? Certainly for the first couple of years, it was a combination of my naval pension, uh, which was providing the bulk of my income, and the YouTube supplementing it. And then over the course of a couple of years, the situation flipped. Now it's very much YouTube. Well, I'll say now it's very much YouTube. Probably not quite as critical mm. uh, for a YouTuber as it is for somebody in the esports venue uh, sponsorships. With the way YouTube has been going, uh, with things like the Apocalypse and then the Children's Online Privacy Prevent, uh, Protection Act coming yeah, in, yeah. it's becoming increasingly difficult to monetize your content on YouTube. You can still do it, but it's nowhere near as easy or as profitable as it was five years ago, purely from YouTube alone. And as Mark also learned to his cost, when the game that you had yeah. as your niche died, so does your audience. Yeah. So you've got to diversify your content. I started off just doing World of Tanks. And for years, I was the guy that put a World of Tanks video up every day, sometimes more than once a day. I mean, you're saying it's important to have a business plan. And it absolutely is. Hmm. But I didn't. <laughs> I, I just kind of lucked into it. Yeah. Um, because I got burned out just yeah. doing World of Tanks all the time. So yeah. I started looking around for other things. And they were all mostly the same sort of genre. Um, Mid-20th century military war game style either arcade or simulator games my audience tended to be of the older demographic um, only 1.2 percent of my audience demographics are aged 18 or under or admit that they're aged 18 or under could have made or broken the channel good yeah. oh i came here for world of and i still see these comments even today oh i only came here for the world of tanks contents i don't watch this yeah. well then don't watch it you know there are plenty of other people who do uh, and I've always tried to do things, and, and this is, I think, something that's very important for anybody who's thinking of doing this for a living. I've always tried to do things that I enjoy. And if that means that it only gets half the number of views as a World of Tanks or a World of Warships video, well, I'm quite prepared to take that on the chin because I'm enjoying doing it. And if you're not enjoying doing it, the audience will, will, will be able to tell. Where, where would, how would you say, what's the advice for people who want to get into it now, start producing YouTube videos, for example? Um, just do it. Mm. You, you won't be making any money out of it at first, and you probably won't be making any money out of it for a while, minimum of six months, possibly longer. In fact, you may never make any money out of it. But if you don't try, mm. you'll absolutely definitely never make any money out of it. But like you were saying earlier, it has to be driven by passion, not by the want to make money. And I, I think this is the thing about it. The passion comes first, the great content, and then like you said, and also and then the that commitment. I think people want to see success within a month or two months or three yeah, months. No, it. it can take a year before you even start to see 
things improve. Yeah. I mean, that's that's Ab absolutely yeah. definitely. I mean, yeah. people always ask me, you know, how how can I start? One of the most asked questions that I get, and you literally you just start doing it. Do something that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. But there are some extremely popular YouTubers out there who, when you watch one of their videos on a certain game, that's probably a sponsored game, they don't care. They're not invested in the game that they're playing. They don't know anything about the game that they're playing. They're just taking the paycheck. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not. That's something that somebody who already has a million subscribers can get away with. Yeah. If you're starting off, start off on things that you care about. Start on things that you're passionate about. And don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be PewDiePie. Don't try to be Markiplier. Because there's already a PewDiePie. There's already a Markiplier. And they're both very good at being mm. PewDiePie and Markiplier. You might be able to fake it for a while, but eventually the audience are going to sniff a fake. You're the best person in the world at being you. Mm. So be you. Nobody else is ever going to be better at it than, than you. Now, that might mean that nobody likes you, <laughs> but that's unfortunately yeah. just the way it's going to be. Even if you feel like there's nobody that's going to like your content, there is somebody out yeah, there somebody that will, will like, it. like it. But I think like, it's important, important that you do make content. You don't just stick up a silent gameplay video. You yeah. talk in the video. You edit or do something with it. I just want to ask yourself a bit about streaming. Yeah. Getting into streaming. Again, streaming, there's millions of people doing it now. How do you get started? If there was a rule and you said, right, you were starting today, a new channel, and you're saying, right, I'm starting from zero. How am I going to... How am I going to get somewhere? Where, where do I make it work? Yeah, it's exactly the same as what Jingles mentioned. Like, you've got to be passionate about the game that you're playing or the games that you are playing, and you can't be fake because it's it's so much more difficult to fake passion live, day in day out, than it is to fake it in a video like once a week or whatever. If you're if you're there sat playing this game that you might be pulling in the numbers, but yet you're miserable having to pretend to enjoy yourself enjoy speaking to the chat it's just gonna tear you down and you will become depressed and it will you will burn out and it's it just comes down to the passion and loving what you're doing for the sake of doing it not for the money and in esports with professional players you've seen it a lot you see it a lot more these days where when i first started playing you played because you loved it and you enjoyed it and then if you're lucky enough you'd earn some money mm. whereas nowadays with with all these prize pools popping up and Fortnite World Cup was all over the news and people wanting to just earn that quick that quick couple of quid or whatever. Mm. They're just constantly swapping, swapping games, just chasing that money in hopes that they're gonna make it and See that's that I mean that's another area, isn't it? You've obviously you've got streaming such as Twitch uh, and, and finding an income there and donations. But then as esport players now, esport players are looking for, for an income. Yeah. Uh, and it's very difficult because a lot of them, they only, they only get something if they win a prize. The chances of winning a prize are next to nothing. Yeah. You can't build a life on maybe I'll win a prize in three months' time. So uh, the other option is obviously building a team. Yeah. You know? and, but then when you're coming to building a team, you've got one, you've got to know how to write a sponsorship proposal. You need the business backing. You need the business plan. You need to deliver to sponsors. Yep. That's quite difficult as well because there's not necessarily the, the infrastructure in place in terms of leagues and structure and advertising. So you're having to make your content and get it out there yeah, and, that's, that's a, and use other people as well. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose there are people talking about streaming for a second. You've got a bit more experience with streaming. 
what platform should people stream on and why? Do you have any particular platforms that you, I mean, you've got Mixer, you've got Twitch. Yeah, weigh up what you want, really, because obviously on Twitch, you've got more active users, mm. but yet you've got that noise because everyone's streaming on Twitch. Mm. On Facebook, you have different areas of the world which are more active on Facebook, such as like Asia, certain parts of Asia, especially like around Indonesia and Malaysia. I know there's a lot of people in there. Turkey, for example, the demographics of those people will tend to be an older audience than watching yeah. Twitch. Yeah. And then you've got like Mixer, there's not as many people there, but there's less noise because of that. But then does that weigh up? Maybe you're getting next to no viewers because there's no one there to really watch. I mean, if you look at look at Ninja's figures, for example, because obviously Ninja's been in the, in the limelight quite a lot. He was with Twitch, pulling insane figures, probably like 50k concurrent. He's the guy that signed the deal that went exclusively to Mixer. Exactly, and now he's at Mixer, and he's pulling six to nine, I think, thousand mm. concurrent. Mm. So you can see, even though he's still loved, and he's got that fan base around him, if he's not on Twitch, the audience isn't necessarily always going to follow you, follow you really, to another yeah. platform. Really important in picking the right platform for you, committing to that platform over time, uh, and also understanding the demographic of that platform. You know, what's the age group of the people watching? What games do they, they like to play? Something you touched on earlier, though, uh, is burnout. You know, we work very, very long hours. It's seven days a week, often running a YouTube channel or a Twitch streaming channel. Uh, people don't realize, I think, the, the pressure there is. I mean, I mean, from a video perspective, I'm editing day and night sometimes, you know, some of the complexity of the video. Uh, but then Twitch, like you say, you've always got to be, when you're streaming, you've got to be happy, happy. Uh, but yeah. what, no matter what's going on in your life, you've got to have that energy to give to the point. And after the, 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 the video, you, you're exhausted sometimes, surely. Uh, what, what do you think yeah. about that? Your thoughts on yeah. burnout? Um, I've definitely burned out probably once, uh, once or twice <laughs> yeah. in, in, within esports. Um, the first time was during my professional playing and streaming on the side because I was... I was playing professionally and I was also streaming. Streaming, I thought, oh, I'll do this for fun and interact with the audience and use it to build my own kind of profile and social media platform and my own image off the back of, you know, playing professionally and knowing what I'm doing. Um, but it got to the point where I was, say, I'd just finished practicing or playing for four or five hours off stream to actually get better and not give away all the secrets I'm going to put in for professional play where I'm going to effectively try and earn money from. Um, and then go into Twitch thinking, oh, let's have some fun. Doesn't matter if I dust around or whatever on the game, as long as, as, long as it's entertaining and fun. But I found my audience wanted, they wanted to know what cards to play. They wanted to know what was OP at the moment. They were just constantly asking questions of, oh, what if you play this? Or you should have done this. And it become very, very stressful because I just wanted to sit there and have a good time mm. and chill. But it turned out I had to be on the ball play as if I was playing a tournament, explain every single move I was making, interact with the chat, thank thank the donation, thank the subscribers. It just become it just become a lot to kind of handle. And, and, and this and, is why I can't stream. Well <laughs> the next thing is then people want you to do longer and longer and longer yeah. streams, don't they? I mean you start off and you say I'm gonna stream for an hour, that seems okay. Then you're gonna stream for two, three, four. I did a nine hour stream last year. And I, after that, I, was, I had a headache for two yeah. days. And one of the issues was bright lights. I had these okay. super bright LEDs in my face and a green screen behind me. I didn't realize that, you know, when I'm streaming till 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, you sort of, 
affecting the body. You're getting a jet lag yeah. through it as well. I mean, it's, uh, and especially when you've worked a full day editing, then you start streaming in the evening. It really takes its toll. Mm -hmm. And people expect to see top quality play for four hours. You know, they yeah. don't just want to see chat. They want to see you yeah. competing top of your game. I mean, it really is a lot of pressure there. Yeah, and it's, it's, it felt like playing a tournament most of the time because mm -hmm. obviously with tournaments, you've got your, your open bracket system. So you could be playing for like a 12-hour stint in tournaments. Some games could be shorter than others. And in tournaments, it's almost easier because you have that, even though the games will be more difficult, you'll have that break between each game to kind of, you know, breathe until the next game set up and you're ready to compete again. But on stream, it's just constant. All right, game's over, queue again, queue again, queue again. It just becomes a lot. Gamers then, they have to decide whether they want to do streaming or whether they want to YouTube. Set up your social media because obviously you want to tell people that obviously on Facebook, on Twitter, your new videos up, your new streams up. Even if two or three people see that tweet, that's two or three more viewers. It's two or three, two or three more people watching your videos. All that kind of reach helps, doesn't it? Forums. For the streamers, yeah, there is because there's a lot of crossover between streaming and YouTubing mm. because you can take your stream highlights yeah. and just mm. stick exactly. them on YouTube, yeah. YouTube. Yeah. and that's free advertising for your stream. Mm. And I, I know a couple of people that have the YouTubers actually ended up being just as, if not more, mm. profitable for them than the live stream. Um, so, and it's work that you've already done because you streamed it. You just take that that bod. You upload that to YouTube and it's there, mm. constantly generating a little bit of income for you. Uh, and you can build up a pretty big YouTube library pretty quickly if you're streaming seven hours a day. Yeah. You already got your following from your stream. Yeah. And mm. if they've missed um, your stream. Yeah. And they're yeah. going to watch you. Exactly. I mean, the, because the video on demand, obviously, it stays up there a bit longer if you're a Twitch partner. Yeah. But it's not there forever, whereas a YouTube video is. Yeah. So they can go back and, oh, I've just started watching this guy. I'd like to watch more of his games. Here's his YouTube channel. Yeah. Your YouTube channel starts gaining subscribers. That starts gaining traction. More people start watching the videos on YouTube. And they're, oh, this guy streams. And now they're watching your Twitch stream. But if you are a streamer, yeah. there's a lot of ways that YouTube can help you actually boost the stream. Now, next thing is getting yourself an advantage. You say, well, you've got your content, good content. Sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes you need to get games pre-released, stuff like that, something exclusive. That's something that a lot of... YouTubers and Twitch streamers want from the off, but they've got to build an audience, they've got to establish themselves. Really, they need six months to a year consistent content to prove to publishers they're actually worth investing in. They need to prove that they can deliver on the content when they get that game as well. What would you say to people is that the advice you feel for people who say, I really want to get a game from a publisher early on? How would you feel well, about that? You need to have something that the publisher wants, mm. and that's an audience with the correct demographics that their game is going to be targeted against. Although a lot of the publishers and developers don't actually do that sort of thing themselves. They hand it over to a marketing agency to say, they say, here's a budget, get us this, this many views on YouTube, <laughs> with sometimes quite hilarious uh, consequences. I once got offered a large amount of money uh, from a marketing firm if I would be interested in covering World of Tanks. <laughs> A game that I'm putting video. Would you like to do a World of Tanks video? We'll pay you twelve hundred euros. I hope you said well, yes. Well, I'm, I'm putting World of Tanks videos up like three times a week, guys. <laughs> you really didn't do your research, did you? Yeah. No, they didn't. They just had a look at who had the yeah. most numbers, and they just started mass emailing offers out. If you don't have the demographics, or you're just working on it and building it up, there is one website in particular. I'm sure there are probably others, but there's one uh, that's been very useful for me called Keymailer possibly.co.uk, possibly.com, possibly.org, I'm not sure, mm. but just Google Keymailer. Basically, it's a website 
um, and I hate this term, that influencers mm. can sign up for. And basically the developers pr produce Steam keys yeah. and you can request those keys in advance when a game goes into early access, uh, closed beta, developing, development beta, whatever. Um, so you can get that game before everybody else gets it and produce content on it. Yeah. And, and it's a way for you to get your foot in the door and get something that maybe the rest of the competition might not have access and to. And those will be indie games, predominantly, because a good way in games, is indie games. Yeah. There's a lot of um, big name titles that are out there as well, because, as I already said, a lot of the developers and publishers don't actually handle this sort of thing themselves. They mm. just give a marketing budget to a marketing agency and say, here's $3 million. Deliver us this. Yeah. Deliver us mm. this number of views on YouTube, this number of social media posts. And I then think... the marketing agency approaches Keymailer with something to, to remember I think for, for people is there are two types of people you'll come up against in sort of the marketing side you'll come up against the very superficial numbers generating yes. people and they see nothing but the numbers yeah. then you'll get the other people who see actually you've got really good quality yeah. and these are two very different types of people some people can't see the quality at very all they can't see the creative vision yeah. some people just see the numbers I find that if you say right I'm going to make good quality content whatever happens I'm just going to make really good videos publishers in my experience like good quality content they, they'll they'll support that if they can see production values and the investment from your end is there and sometimes they'll even share that and support that to get that content out there if they feel that works and really that that's the sort of the next step really is once you make good quality content the support will come keymailer is kind of a is a crutch if you like rather than anything else it's a it gives you some opportunities but when you get that game make a great video and then the publishers will gradually look the, to you there are some publishers and developers out there that have very good what they tend to call community contributor programs where if you're producing content for their game you don't have to be a big youtuber or a big streamer but if they like what you're doing they will invite you on board these contributor programs and the community contributors get to play test it often weeks in advance of it going live and give feedback to the developers and the developers also promote your content mm. on their web portal. And when you're talking about a game like World of Tanks with 40 million users, that, that can really, really help. So the game that you're choosing to cover can offer opportunities that other games wouldn't, depending on who the publisher are and how well they manage their community. There are other publishers that don't do nearly as good a job um, that have these kind of programs, but they basically just want you to produce content on their game and say nothing but good things about it. Yeah. So depending on the game that you're covering, there are often a lot of opportunities in there directly working with the publisher um, that can really help you get your content off the ground and promoted beyond just hoping that YouTube's algorithm picks it up and recommends it. Now, that's another thing uh, I think people are unaware is that, yes, YouTube algorithm looks at your frequency of uploads, that you're ticking all the right boxes in terms of tags and descriptions, all that. But occasionally, unbeknown to YouTubers, publishers will sponsor their videos from time to time if they feel that that video is going to sell their game. YouTube is not a clear, a clear window to the world in terms just of quality. It's also down to marketability. But you can do some of that yourself and promote yourself. Social media funding, whereby you can promote your Facebook campaigns or Instagram campaigns. Mark, you've done, uh, you know, obviously social media funding and you've worked in marketing and seen yeah. opportunities like that. 
What advice can you give? Can, does it make the difference? I mean, for example, Instagram, you'll be told if you, put, if you promote a number of posts over a period of time, if you put up a post every day, uh, there are sites actually you can register on, can't you? And you can register all your posts for the month ahead, that kind of thing. What, what do you think of that, those areas where keeping a social media going and funding a social media? Same with Twitter. Yeah. With, with actual social media marketing, you just need to be careful of being sure you actually understand your audience. I'm guessing if you're pushing out your YouTube videos to or Facebook videos or whatever it is on on social, then you're wanting to get more views. You want to get in front of people you wouldn't normally get in front yeah. in front of. And so you need to be careful. You actually know what audience you're gonna want to want to attack, because if you're gonna spend a lot of money very quickly, which is very easily done, especially with the likes of Google, then you need to be be sure you're getting in front of the right people. Otherwise, you're literally just gonna get the hate comments, the spam you're gonna get. Your videos probably get down thumbed or whatever, you know, and it's not, the algorithm from YouTube's not gonna pick up very well on that. See, when you first start uploading videos to YouTube, it's kind of like when your kid comes home from school with this terrible crayon painting and you tell them that it's fantastic and you stick it up on the fridge for everybody in the family to admire. So when you first start putting your YouTube videos up, I mean, I look back at mine and they were terrible. Absolutely, just ah. Uh, but I do believe that my passion for the content showed through, but the production values were just non-existent. Mm. But I started attracting some subscribers, and they subscribed because they liked what I was doing and the way I was doing it. And as long as I only had three hundred subscribers, all of my comments were positive, because nobody else had ever heard of me, and it was only the people that liked what I was doing that were coming back every day to watch it. When your audience starts growing. When YouTube starts picking you up, and this kills a lot of people, suddenly it's like you're taking that child's crayon drawing, and instead of sticking it on the fridge, you're sticking it in the front window of the house, so anybody can see it. I mean, there's lots of opportunities in terms of equipment and getting started, and I, I think that, that there's never been, and I think sometimes people think, if I make it the best looking, I've seen people that keep changing the look of their stream to make it as polished as it can possibly be, and I say, no, you know, you're, you're working in the wrong place. You know, you need to look at other aspects of the personality. You've got a great looking stream. It's not just about the look. It's about how it all comes together. Having said that, it's nice that on street, on streams, when moments happen, people subscribe, you have explosions or something happen. Yeah. It's nice to have that. Yeah, but you don't want it looking like a 1980s MySpace page. Yeah. With just stuff everywhere. everywhere. No. Yeah. The game has to be the focus and yes. the clarity. Yeah. On, you on, and on the, the game scene. have to be what people are paying attention to, not your glittery, sparkly rubbish that just yeah. keeps... I just want to bring it back to the social media funding because I think there's, it's very easy to spend a lot of money and sort of it goes into the black hole of the internet. And I, I, I think that in terms of people getting started, it's better to focus on their social media than Google. I happen to think yeah. that Google, if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know your search terms and how to run Google, really you need a, an SEO expert. And big streamers, they have agents and marketing companies that yeah. support them. And they, I've got uh, people that edit yeah. the videos from these days. So yep. they, they literally just sit there, play the game, record it, and then it's That's done. shipped off into the factory, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I thought th th they're on a different level to us. And, and so I think you can be very careful where you, they'll always offer you your £50 free, free funding that will yeah. just disappear into the netherworld of Google. <laughs> um, but you do see actual results with Facebook. And I, I, I've always found that the results are more trackable from, say, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah. Um, but you really need to understand, like you say, your demographics. So if you know what games you're playing, 
you know what roughly what dem your demographic's going to be, you can really aim it. But I, I find consistency of output, isn't it, is really key. So the campaign itself won't make you big. It's, no. it's just getting your voice out there further. But you've got to be on it during that period. Yeah. It, it might bring people in, but they're, only, they're going to stay for you. At the, at the end of the day, it's, it's your marketing spend, isn't it? Like you're a brand as yourself. You want to put yourself out there. You, in, you invest in your own brand, you market it, but if, if it gets in front of someone's eyes and we don't like the content at the end of the day, we're not going to stick around. All about entertaining your audience. Final thing really, I guess, is to say, how do you create your personality online? And also, uh, a little bit of developer research as well. It's good to understand how games are made, grow an affinity with the publishers, understand the work of the developers, and rep yourself represent yourself with some common decency. I find there's, so, there's lacking in common decency online these days. And I, I do yeah. feel that uh, everybody can, can do with just, you know, looking at themselves a bit and the way they treat everybody and, and being decent. What do you think? Well, it's, it's very easy to get angry online, isn't it? Mm. I mean, just look at Reddit. <laughs> Reddit's always angry about something. It has served me extremely well in the past through several controversies that affected the games that I covered that actually broke out. I won't say into the mainstream media, because, you know, BBC News at 10 didn't cover it, but broke out into the larger games journalism world, where it would have been very easy to jump on a bandwagon and, you know, thump the tub and act indignant and raise the pitchfork and the burning torch. But rather than immediately pushing out a reaction video, just sitting back and looking at all the points of view and waiting to find out exactly what happened, to tune the signal-to-noise ratio out served me extremely well in the mm. past. I'm not going to be here all day if I went into the details. But yeah, um, I've definitely found, and this may be because of my audience demographics, who do tend to be a bit older and a bit more uh, laid back and less likely to lose their rag at the slightest provocation when a developer does something that they don't approve of. Um, it's definitely helped me not make a massive arse of myself online. <laughs> Um, what is it they say? Act in anger, repent at leisure. Yeah. yeah, I think being careful, being careful of your uh, of your personality and your brand, I think is a, a key thing. I think especially when you're marketing yourself, you're reaching your new audience. Think about those first impressions. Well, listen, chaps, thank you very much for your time today. It's been uh, an interesting uh, discussion throughout, and I hope it's been informative to you all at home as well. If you want to get into YouTube or streaming on Twitch or anywhere social media. I hope you found some helpful tips on the show today. That's it from us for now. As ever, more soon. New episodes will be available every week and if you've enjoyed this one, please make sure to subscribe on your app of choice and leave a review. Don't forget to follow Logitech on Twitter at LogitechGUK, Facebook LogitechG.UK and Instagram at LogitechG. There, you'll be able to learn more about the new Lightspeed wireless range that's now available. I'm Alan Boyston. See you next time.